Welcome back. What's going on, gang? Dick and Steve's podcast. Dick and Steve's podcast. Let's go. I'm Nate cut, Rose. Man. I'm David Pearsall. Yeah, we some thieves out here. Okay. It always feels good to do this. Aliki, what do you have planned? This is a buffet. It's a... Uh, oh, there's so tax up here. We can, we- So you should have a stack of paper next to you and a marker. Go ahead and get those. Oh shoot! Okay. I see this over here. I'm gonna tell you. Dang, we need. You needed all this paper. Yeah. Oh. Well, I was trying to make it thicker so you guys had something to write on, but you know, excuse me for trying to do this. Right? There are five cups filled with different items. I'm gonna give you a cup each round. You're gonna look. At the item, you're going to guess how many of that item are in the cup. You're going to write your guess down. I'm going to count backwards from three. <laughs> After I'm done, you guys are going to flip your answer around, show your answer. Whoever is closest is going to get a point. Whoever has the most points at the end of this game wins. The winner gets to choose a picture of the loser and post it on our Instagram page. Mm. Oh, shoot. And post it on Thieves? On the Thieves page. Dang. Okay. Okay, I, li- I like that. Pick a picture from what, though? Like from their own phone or something? You can look at their phone, your phone, any photo that you wish. You don't want to look at my phone, brother. Look, yeah, because I'll be taking pictures Probably about of half, half of those are just, you know. Gooch photos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, let's, let's get into it. Let's do it. We're going to do the thumbtacks. Thumb all right, here we go. Thumbtacks. Let me see real quick. <laughs> okay, here we go. Well, I always feel like I'm just going to guess way too much. Um, okay. Here we go. Actually, that was not that big. <laughs> I think, All right, I think I'm, I'm under, ready. I think I underguessed. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Three, two, one. I said 56. I said 28. I think the I underguessed. The correct answer is 70. Oh, let's go. Let's go. Okay, That's I'm, crazy. I'm, that, that does not look like 70 at all. No, but you got it. You definitely won on that. Okay, cool. Okay, wait. Now, how many, how many points? Is there like a point system here? That's one point for you. Okay, let's one go. Point. So there's a total of five points? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> five, six, all right. All right. What's next? What's next? Okay. Turn me up. Next, let's go with the Q-tips. Q-tips? Okay. Yeah, lift that, lift that mug up. All right. Bro, bro, chill out, chill out. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. I can count all right, those all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right. All right, here we go. I'm ready. Q-tips. There's more than I think. I'm definitely not, okay, definitely 10 in there. So I know there's at least 10. There is at least 10. I feel confident in that. <laughs> That's how it works. Let's go, it. let's go. So then I, 11? Do I feel confident in that? I'm ready. Got it. All right. Oh yeah. 83. 122. A hundred a hundred twenty two. This game is just like, bro, what am I doing? The correct answer is 112. Turn wait, me wait. up. Oh yeah, you're Turn me up. Damn it. Hey David. <laughs> David, quit sucking. Alright, come on now. Alright, here we go. Okay, next. Next we're gonna do the gummy worm. Well, if he wins the next one, then he just we do we have to complete the game? We should we should. Okay. We let's should. Do it. Let's because I want to beat you at all five. Yeah, I want a clean sweep. Lots on this 
Yeah. I know. Yeah. Oh, the gummy worms. I'm just underguessing. Ah. Ooh. All right. I don't know why I'm riding gummy worms up top. Like, everybody can see this, but I just put the header on it. All right, I swear if you get this one, bro. Um, Releasing the filler episode, the one game I actually win. All right, I got it. 46. 72. Okay. The number of gummy worms in the cup was 57. I think that's it. Oh, hold up. Yeah, what's the math on that? David's closer. David's closer? You see it. You see uh, it. Okay. Are we still in okay. the cup? Okay. Shoot. This next one, though, is still important for me. The next two are still important for you. Yeah. How many do you have again? Two? I got two points. Okay. It's two good. to one. Okay. Let's do the rice. Oh, man. The rice one is like no joke. All right. You counted these, Leaky? What the heck? There you go. I know. That's crazy. All right. I got it. There's no way I'm right. All right, here we go. 380. Four honey. Wow. You put 400? Wow. That's about to be more. Is it? Is it a two and two situation? It's three something, 340 or something crazy, 320. Uh, well, the the amount of rice in the cup is 1,300. Give me me. 1,000? You counted that though? Yeah. Okay, wait. For a second. That's crazy. Wait, for a you won the game. Because <laughs> you just counted a thousand plus pieces of rice. Yeah, that was over a thousand grains of rice. So you both Look at how, how little class you have, bro. I think it's funny that, like, you, you see, you see, you just crumple the papers up. This is, so every time I throw something on the ground, you got to clean it up. Now, nah, listen. Go home. This, this is a good distinction between our personalities. You see how organized and just, like, clean everything is with me? And, like, you just crumple up everything that you touch and just throw it to the ground. That's true. That's true. Disrespect. Everyone who knows us in a personal life knows Dang. the truth. I guess they're really about to go stupid. <laughs> All right, we're coming. Okay, the score right now oh. is two and two. Two and two. So the macaroni's left? So it all comes down to the elbow pasta. Elbow pasta. Stay elbowed up. Mm. Whew. Pressure's on. I got this one, though. I'm not really worried about that. Is there's one thing you know about me is I know how to count pasta. Hey, what's the, uh, remind me real quick, what's the, I'm so, like, so, okay, I got it. I'm just, okay, cool, I'll just think about Stephen Hawking's equation for this specific. Um, <laughs> let's see. Got it. 380. 200. This man. The amount of pasta in the cup is 331. Let's go! Let's go! Yeah! Hold on. Let me hit a little. Damn. Take it, dude. Let me hit a little celebratory dance right quick. What's the punishment right though for this one? <laughs> What's the punishment for this one? <laughs> no, I get to. I get, I the get to eat I, the gummies. No, I get the post, bro. We talked oh, about the this. post. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, you should you should just go ahead and look at photos and then let us know which one you post. Okay, hold on. All right. <laughs> okay, I got it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right. 
That's so funny. <laughs> okay, perfect. Here, I'm going to go. Actually, I'm going to post it right now. All right, can I keep one of these gummies now? Like, real talk? No. Oh. Eat, bro, eat a, eat a, eat a thumbtack, bro. Wow. You rightfully deserve that one, though. Huh? You rightfully deserve that one. What, winning? Yeah, because my guess was super off on that last one. Well, you bodied me in the last game we played. I did. My grandma was... She called you afterwards with PTSD from that call. I know. All right, bro. Um, We're over here like... Why are we doing this with the microphones, bro? We smack him. Here, get it, get it, do, bro. This needs to be an ASMR clip. Mmm. 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 <laughs> so we went to go see Bo's Afraid this weekend. Me and Nate and Greg and Aliki, the whole podcast team. Check out some behind the scenes that we captured right before we went in. Think about me and Nate. We was about to get plastered by a film by Ari Aster. Like, Bo might be afraid, but I ain't never scared. If Bo's afraid, I'm afraid. That's true, man. Bo is. And that's the name <laughs> of the movie. But I don't really like seeing Hereditary, seeing Midsummer. He still has to prove himself to me. You know what I mean? We're <laughs> <laughs> about to witness a first time nerd gummy cluster experience. I've been hyping it up. You know what it smells like? Nerds. Fruit, like a uh, nerd? Yeah. <laughs> first one, let's get it. One to twelve daggers. <laughs> One to twelve daggers, baby. <laughs> that's it's got to be a top three. That and the mixed berry trolleys. But that's got to be a top that's three. That's got to be top three. That's got to be top three. More just for yeah. science. But I'm actually really excited about this. Hey, Debbie, shut up. Dude. Nobody wants to hear you. We wasn't seen Bo is afraid a couple days ago. Oh yeah, Bo is afraid. Maybe the weirdest movie. Maybe the weirdest movie I've ever seen. I mean, there's some weird movies out there. There's some weird movies for sure. So, Bo's Afraid is Ari Aster's new film, who made Hereditary, Midsummer. Yep. Midsommar, Midsummer. I don't know how to say it. But I think it's Midsonar. Sonar, yeah. Um, I'm going to get one more of these and I'm done. But, yeah. General thoughts. What do you think? Just generally, I think uh, the movie was really long. I thought it was very unique. Um, I thought that, I don't know if I'd watch it again, um, on my own accord, because, you know, there's some weird, a lot of weird imagery, which, which I'm fine with weird imagery, but also it's just like, the, it, I don't know, there was something that, it didn't seem like it had as much of a, like the story was connected in a weird way, I feel like. It was almost like he was just on this oblivious journey, and maybe I guess we as the viewer are also on that same oblivious journey. Of like we don't know what's going on, and Bo clearly doesn't know what's going on in any moment. He mm-hmm. can't make decisions. Um, Dude, also, well, also, watch hold on. Again because, Quick ahead. caveat: uh, spoilers probably ahead. We're just going to talk about this movie. So if you haven't seen it, you can skip forward. Um, yeah. So you don't think you'll watch it because of it's too long, or is it too much? No, I I just think that it's like I feel like one time's enough. You know. Okay. I saw it. Um, what do you think? Um. I think it's too long. I think the movie's too long. Uh, I can't say whether I like it or not like it um, because I think it's the type of movie that deserves a second watch if you're really curious about trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably do that just to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably even a third... I won't do it a third time, but I think it probably needs a third watch to figure it out. Like mm-hmm. Anyone who claims to know that movie right off the rip, I think that's so corny when people are like, oh yeah, I got it. No, you didn't. That movie, no, you, there's no way. Yeah. Um, too long for sure, though. There's yeah. like room for three-hour movies, Endgame, uh, Avatar, mm-hmm. 
where even those are like pushing it. But a movie that's so artistic, I mean, he can make whatever movie he wants. Yeah, yeah. It's his movie. But yeah, yeah. like, it's just like, I think that whatever he was trying to tell probably could have been told. In I, hour I think I agree with that because, that. I think I agree with that because like, in a, in a movie like Endgame, you have the, the through line in the story, it's all building to something, right? And I guess you could say that's the case with Bo's Afraid, but you don't really ever know. Like, even, even up to the very last scene, you don't know, you don't know wh- like, where the ending is or, yeah. like, what, is suppo- what the ending is supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it feels like, yeah, you're just kind of sitting through this thing of, like, I don't know what's going on. But I'll say this. This is, I'll, I mean, if you were to, like, to say, okay, I want to get your actual opinion before I say anything on, like, okay, you enjoy movie as, as an art. Mm-hmm. What, how does this fit into the... Well, I, into that scene, like what is that? Well, you know how we always talk about like certain things. Ha- there's a commercial viability on this end, and then there's then there's like artistic integrity. Uh, so I mean, yeah, um, Avengers Endgame, mm-hmm. right? And then on this hand, you have like everything, everywhere, all at once, or something, something where it breaks traditional storytelling convention, or you know, deals with something like. Maybe those are actually bad examples. That's pretty good examples, though. All I'm saying is, is like, for music, you know, it's easy for me. Music, you have Drake and you have James Blake. You've got something that sounds really good and is appreciated by many. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you have something that, that is creating something new that you've never heard before, but it's less palatable for your average person. This is definitely on the less palatable thing. Honestly, I think probably Hereditary and Mid- I mean, definitely Midsummer are less palatable less for palatable, your average for sure average person um but and yeah where, it's where does Bo's Afraid fit in that? yeah it's I mean it's pretty far it's pretty far on that it's like, even bo- more far way further than it's even, further than Midsummer. I think everything everywhere all at once as well well definitely yeah yeah because sure. yeah. yeah. that actually that actually had like it, it felt good there were yeah. moments in that right um man okay so I, I know you don't want to go super deep into this but just what are some of the things that you picked up on in the film as far as the concept you know there's a lot of speculation about what it's about I have a couple thoughts, you know, I, I know there's been some YouTubers that have kind of given their thoughts on it. I know you say you need a second watch, but what, what are some things that you just think it might be um, um, starting off? I don't think the movie, I'm glad you said things, because I don't think the movie's trying to do one thing. It's trying mm-hmm. to do multiple things, mm-hmm. and it's doing it in a, such a convoluted way, um, but with so much care and detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for instance, I think that it definitely has this idea of indecisiveness the entire movie. Mm-hmm. This is where the spoilers come into play. You have this person who is always, it seems as a generational thing has been passed down to where he always, he doesn't really know whether to say yes or no or whether he agrees or doesn't agree. Mm-hmm. He always has this, he can't make a decision. And yeah. it's, it's all from the beginning. It's the mom is at, he's like, he, he loses his keys in the door and the mom asks him to come to, to uh, where she's at and see her, and he's like, what do you think I should do? Like, he just can't make these decisions, and it's that is shown throughout the movie multiple times, mm-hmm. multiple different ways, um, to the point where even at the end of the movie, the, the, when they were, he's in that big coliseum or, like, audience-type place, and he was mm-hmm. in, like, there's, like, a whole jury going on. Yeah. They were judging no specific parts of his life. They were going... In this moment, he had to do this, and he chose to not do anything at all. And they did it for every single moment that it happened in the film. It was also super irrational. Like, yeah. like when they were like, he decided to go tomorrow instead of today. And it, but he right. was being so pressured into saying right. that. 
Right. You yeah, know, yeah, it's something about that. It's something about because it was like everybody would have, nobody would have, no actual rational person would have interpreted him as like that as being like a a strike against his mother. Yeah. Like he was very much trying for the, you know, but. Yeah, I think if I was to just to give my grand, like if I was trying to, I'm not going to act like I know what this movie is about because I, like I said, I need to watch it again. But if I was trying to give, based off what you said and give my old, my whole, like what this movie's trying to do is that the movie, you know, a movie when it teaches you a message, is trying to tell you something. Mm-hmm. Usually you have two things. You have someone who's going through it, and then you have someone that represents the audience. Mm-hmm. I think that Ari Aster cut the audience part out on this one. And he was like, this person is indecisive, and he's anxiety-driven, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't, he doesn't give us the perspective to go, that is what he's trying to tell us. He's not giving us a reasonable person to kind of latch onto to go to teach us that he's going. Yeah. No, you're going to see the world how he sees it. Yep. yep. Which is he's anxiety driven and he's being judged for these things, even though he knows he's innocent. Yeah. And like, we're and his anxiety has ruined his life into into the point where it's completely devolved mm-hmm. into madness, right? Yeah. Um, and the reason it's so weird to us is because we're like, oh, like he didn't deserve this. Well, of course he didn't. And Bo doesn't think that either. Yeah. He doesn't think that at all. But yeah. we don't get that for relief to go, oh, wow. Like, well, he, he, well I would say he actually does a little bit because, you know, there's this, that theme of guilt. You know, when the therapist is writing guilt down and things like that, I think that there's some part of him that, like, he's trying to distinguish whether, because he's had such a, an abusive relationship with his mom. Like, the mom has been this overprotective character, mm-hmm. and he has such abuse as a result of this that he's scared of everything. He has anxiety about everything. He's been extremely sheltered right and you know i think somewhere mixed in there is like am you know he he was he was treading this line of like can i be independent like you know i'm trying to i need to he wants to become an adult you know what i'm saying he is an adult but like you know he's trying to get away from that but then he has a thing where it's like well what's my role with my mom like should i be excited to go see her you know what i'm saying that's true and i just thought about something right now like based off what you were saying and like mm-hmm. it leans right into Bo's kind of characteristics which is he did have one thing and the thing he was most excited about and it didn't require him to make a decision now which was his most precious thing which was waiting for Elaine mm-hmm. the whole entire time he has this one goal in life which is to like wait for Elaine and he knew that gave him so much joy because he was like, I don't have to, I don't have to do anything right now. I just have to wait for her. It gave him, it almost gave him purpose, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. I was gonna say something though, um, which is uh, someone made this theory online of Bo is afraid, which is like, I think I don't know if I agree with it because it doesn't seem to make sense, but it's kind of cool to think about. Is that someone believes that everything is is real up until the point of when he's in the bathtub after he finds out his mom was mm-hmm. has died, and that he's like. He like he's going to drown himself, and then dopamine yeah. is released, and then everything up until that point uh, is uh, just this dopamine release when you die. Yeah, uh, and the boat flipping was like supposed to be like him actually being drowned in the tub. Like th- I thought that was, but I was like, well, how do you explain all the stuff before that? Like, yeah, niggas running on the street to the like, you yeah, know I mean, yeah. people killing each other. Yeah, anyways, but. I I don't you know I don't think I have a total grasp, but I do have uh, a. A lot of thoughts about so so for one you have the I think the core of the story is you have this narrative of the overprotective mother that has created 
And it's actually counterintuitive, right? Because the mother's trying to protect the kid, but by not allowing him to like experience difficulty and like whatever, he's not prepared for that kind of stuff. Anything at all. Right. And I think, I mean, that ha- actually happens in real life. Like, I mean, not to this extent. They're taking it to an extreme extent. But he's so afraid of everything because he's been coddled so much that he's unable to like be decisive because he doesn't want, he's like avoiding, you know, pain at all costs. Mm-hmm. Now, I think. There's clearly a lot of sexual imagery throughout this entire thing. Uh, I think that the, gross, the yeah. name of the hotel was like Erectus Ejectus or something like that. Like, you know, of, of course, we, we know about what was in the attic. Um, you know, so I think that that is Ari Aster playing on this like Sigmund Freud thing, right? So like Sigmund Freud talks a lot about, or like one of his quintessential things is that like basically little boys, like they basically are sexually interested in their mothers because they're like this, like, and when, when they're trying to find a partner, you know what I'm saying, trying to find people that reflect your mother or whatever. We had this whole, like, theory about, like, very deep internal, you know what I'm saying, things. It's the first wom- woman you love, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, right, so there's, there's all this stuff, you know, and I'm not, like, somebody could speak a lot more to that. Yeah. But I think that this whole movie is about a mother or a mother-son relationship. It's the, the, the big section of, the biggest idea. Right, movie, right. Yeah. And then I think there's this sexual through line, and so I think it's getting into this, it's very much a movie, I think, about overprotective moms. Now, for how, sure, for sure. how I in, interpret um, some of the crazy stuff that happens, I agree with what you're saying, I think, with Bo, we, we are experiencing the world as Bo experiences it, sort of. I think that they actually t- took and made literal um, they they made his internal anxieties a literal manifestation. So, for example, like you know, if you're ever like if you're if you have a lot of anxiety, right? Okay, let's say you're taking a bath and you, you're closing your eyes and you're and just a thought just pops into your head, like what if somebody's standing over me right now? And then like you could just ignore it, but then you're like, wait, let me open my eyes to see. And if it's, it, you know what I'm saying, it's never yeah. actually there. But, like, you know, in this movie, there's a dude just, like, above him. And, or, like, oh, like, what if, what if this, what if there's a brown recluse in my room that I'm not aware of and it <laughs> bites me and kills me? And, like, or, you know, I think it's basically taking every little thought of, of anxiety and that a person might have. Real. And just, and Ari Aster is just saying, like, no, nah, let's, 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 let's just show let's it. Let's entertain it's all of them. Yeah, yeah. Let's just make it a real thing. You know probably what I'm so, saying? Yeah, like even so. even the keys, leaving the keys in the door, or leaving the door open with your stuff about outside, that, yeah. right? Like I feel like that's a normal taken, thing, and there's no explanation for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exa- exactly. And so it was like, oh, what if, what if what if somebody steals my keys? Is like a thought that you might have just randomly. Like that doesn't make sense. It's not super rational. But like you left your keys in the door, and you left your door open in an apartment. Like what yeah. if somebody comes by and steals my luggage? And then they actually just do that every single time he has a. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah, I think there's, that's a part of it for sure. There's so many different themes. It's like hard to. Yeah. That's one of them, and then there's like the theme with the, like how does that fit into some of the other ones? Like the whole section of the movie where he's at this people's house, and they're like doing surgery on him. Yeah. It's like there's so much like it's like, it's, it's like he's trying to do a lot. I will say this. I think that the movie is great in the sense of an artistic piece, but it doesn't like do everything. It doesn't do one thing really well. It mm-hmm. does everything. It's too much trying. It, it does like the it's strange to do, thing really well. It does the strange thing really well. Um, I want to make a good point. And yeah. A, uh, or a, a point on this movie is that, uh, so my dad told me a story about when he first, when he seen Pulp Fiction for the first time. He was, he actually was alive to see the, the movie in theaters. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, he walked out, he walked out, a lot of people walked out of the theater. 
um, because they weren't hip to the idea of Tarantino style yet. Um, they did the same thing with Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. You know other movies they walked out of? Hmm. That it's internationally known that people were asking for refunds for these specific movies? What? Fight Club. Wow. Which, think about Fight Club. Yeah. Like, Fight Club is weird. Fight Club is weird. Is Bo- Bo- Fight Club is Bolo's Afraid, but like different in a different way. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan, Pulp Fiction. That's like wild. these are all movies that people were like, "This is doing too much." Yeah, um, and they were like, "We don't really, we're not in 20, 2001: A Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. Clockwork Orange, which is like, yeah, Clockwork Orange is a lot, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like these are movies that I think that what Ari Aster, I think that we are seeing a modern day Kubrick. Because Stanley Kubrick made The Shining. He made 2001 Space Odyssey. He made mm-hmm. Full Metal Jacket. He made Clockwork Orange, right? None of those movies, all those movies were super, are super respected now. None of those yeah. movies at the time were super big, unless they had a big name behind it, like yeah. Stephen King and The Shining, yeah. right? Um, but everyone solidifies Stanley Kubrick as like a, he's like a freaking Alfred Hitchcock of his time. Yeah. Like he's that big of a Well, director. I think, I think, Ari for sure will have legendary status, status as a director by when all is said and done. I think it's it's a little bit hard for me because just because something is artistic and weird doesn't actually make it good. You don't Necessar- think this is pioneering? No, no, no. It's, no, I, I do think it is. Yeah. I do think it is, and I think time will tell if if it becomes you know something as as profoundly artistic as yeah. The Shining or, or genre you know bending or moving. But, Time uh, will tell. Yeah, it will for sure. Yeah, but, but that's, that's the hard part, though, because like, I don't think any of us left there going like, I really enjoyed that movie. And I know, right. that's, a, I know that that's not even... Like, Hereditary, like, that's a dreadful movie. You watch it, it's dreadful. But we left and we were like, that was awesome because I felt so dreadful. This movie, I almost didn't... I didn't necessarily know how to feel. I, it yeah. it kind of like... And, uh, you know, it kind of cuts, for me, it cuts a little bit against some of my views about art itself, which is like, I feel like good art makes you feel something specific. And I think I just haven't, I don't, I haven't really identified what feeling I'm getting from Bo is Afraid. And maybe that is cool. Maybe when I figure it out, maybe when I really sit with it, it clicks with me. You know what I'm saying? But that's, that's the one area where I'm like, I don't fully know how to interpret it because it's very clear that it's ambitious it's, it's very, very clear. It's ambitious. Very cl- yeah, it's, yeah, it's ambitious. It's well made. There were yeah. some beautiful shots in it. Like, um, I mean, I think most amazing. people's favorite part is probably going to be that that entire animated sequence where Mixed he's media he, type part. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was that was really dope. I also thought it was really sick when you remember when he ran out into the street and it had that like third person. Pers- like video game perspective where yes. he's trying to decide which way which place to go. <sighs> yeah, because yeah, so many. Bro, that was moments. that was fire, man. I agree with you. Um, last thing, I think I, I always bring it back to uh, Radiohead, right? Because Radiohead, no one goes. I'm bumping Radiohead at the club. Yeah, right. No one bumps. No one's like, oh, Radiohead. Like, no, I don't. There's some albums like In Rainbows or whatever that album is called. I'm like, this is. I can tell what this album's trying to do, yeah. But I'm not like I'm not vibing with Radiohead. But at yeah. the same time, I'm not going. Radiohead's not good. Yeah, facts. You know what I mean? Because facts. obviously they're doing something, yeah, beyond the spectrum. Like they're doing something outside of music, but still like it's still music. Like it's doing it's it still lives in the art of music, mm-hmm. but it's taking it to a different 
I'm not even going to say to a higher level, but it's taking a different perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, same. I mean, you have you seen 2001? I ha- actually haven't. It's the same thing. It's like people know that, oh, this is one of the greatest sci-fis ever made because it was the first to ever do it. But essentially, like, you watch the end of that movie, you're like, to this day, years later, and people don't have a true to... Un- understanding? Uh, yes. And I don't know if anyone's here seen I, it. I do want to see it, so don't You should spoil see it. it, but it's just like, okay... What did that? The movie's awesome. I enjoyed it. I, like I know there's something there, but mm-hmm. what was what did that mean? Yeah. Well, I also like movies that'll leave it a little bit up for that. Yeah. Um, and 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 everything's to me everything seems intentional because like it you have well, yeah. well also you have to direct it this way. There's a reason. I don't think he was just doing. He has a reason for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, That's what no, I was gonna say. So so you know yeah. I think it's really artistic, man. I don't know if I necessarily enjoyed it. What would you give it on a a dagger rating? That's just, I hate that. I hate just. We have to have it. Give it a rating. I'm gonna give it twelve daggers. No. 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 Out, out of, of twelve. Out of yeah. 12. Yeah. No. I'm gonna give it a. On my first watch, I'm gonna give Boas Afraid seven daggers, and I'm gonna give it seven daggers because um, time hasn't told the tale of Boas yeah. Afraid yet. Yeah. It may move up to twelve daggers I, for me after we understand it more. I. I, I think I. <coughs> Fully agree. I think I'm going to go 7 out of 12 and same thing. <coughs> I think the more I sit with it, probably the more I'll appreciate it. But, you know, then again, there are movies that were really weird and whatever that actually didn't, you know, didn't is, yeah. age gracefully for That's me. That's true. Like like Mother, for instance, is this is Ari Aster's like doing Mother but better. Yeah. 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 Anyways. Sweet. 7 daggers. 7 out of 12. Go check it out. Let us know what you think. On the topic of horror movies... I've got a rank for you. I want you to rank the top three most underrated horror films because I know you like horror and I know you're a weirdo uh, that <laughs> likes a bunch of uh, niche films. You you know weirdo. you read you read a lot of Stephen King, you know. So I know you're well, Stephen into Stephen King isn't necessarily niche, but I know what you mean. Like yeah, no, it's I not just like it's horror, yeah. just the quintessential. <laughs> uh, I mean, I okay. So if we're ranking niche horror films, just top three most most underrated most underrated films. top three. Yeah, top three. Top three. Most underrated. I got you. Yeah. Uh, so first one is Case 39. Um, it's this movie where this, uh, what do you call it when, when someone goes and checks up on the parents to make sure they're good parents? What is that called again? Uh, like CPS, right? Yeah, yeah. Child Protective Child Services. Protection, she works for Child Protection Services, and she goes and she hears that this family had put their daughter in the oven to kill her. And she goes there and she connects with the daughter so much that she's like, she ends up wanting to adopt the child instead of just leaving it up after mm-hmm. the parents are arrested, of course. And uh, for, it turns out that there's a reason they're putting their child in the oven. And the way oh, that wow, they set okay. that movie up and the way that it's told is like, I'm like, oh, I was like, it really encapsulates the feeling of entrapment. Um, second one, I'm going to go with uh, um, His House. It actually came out a couple years ago when we mm-hmm. lived at 909. Um, I like it because... It, I haven't seen a movie deal with like African horror, which I don't know anything about, but like it tastes terrifying. Apparently, it's pretty much this family from Africa who goes through a tragic event in Africa, like a like a like a slaughter, mm-hmm. um, move to England or some somewhere in Europe to start a new life. Um, but you think that they're innocent and that they escaped and they lived, and you find out like that they weren't so innocent and that there's an African horror that that one of, that came along with them, mm. and it's like told in such a I think I remember terrifying. seeing the trailer for that, actually. It's on Netflix. It's Netflix original. Yeah. Um, and so this one's not as underrated, but it's still there. It's called The Babadook. Have you seen it? 
No, I've heard of that too, though. Yeah, so the Babadook is... I, you, know, you know I don't really watch horror that much. That's true, I forgot, I forgot you don't. That's funny that you like Ari Aster so much. I mean, Hereditary was it's one of those things where so I watched good. it, I was like, I, I'm good with one watch, but yeah. also I'm glad I saw it because it was so good. awesome. Yeah. Um, the Babadook is pretty much this uh, mom and her son live in this house, and they're haunted by this some type of, it seems like demonic presence, but the way yeah. it's really the way that they present the horrors of the film that is, uh, that is scary. It's the weird way that the monster kind of blends in with the walls. You just got to watch it to find out. The Babadook, definitely check it out. Um, but that's my top three. Case 39, Babadook, and His House, which is more recent. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, bro, there's a lot of like little niche underrated films, but just like with like anything that's like niche or underrated, it's usually low budget, so it's hard to make a good one. So those, that's mm-hmm. why those three really, I think, shine. All right, guys. I just want to talk real quick. Me and Nate have a show called Up for Debate. Uh, it's a show where we hire some of our friends, also entertainers, who uh, talk about mundane topics in the debate whether which one they think is better than the other. We had an episode come out recently with John, Chris, and Michael V where they debate best movie snacks, popcorn versus candy. If you want to check it out, it's on our YouTube channel at Thieves. Yo, candy has a more marketability for everybody. Mr. Oh, popcorn's for adults. Okay, cool. Adults are boring. Candy is lit. No, adults are accomplishing things. When a kid kid is crying and having a tantrum, Uh, 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 what do you give the kid? Popcorn? No. (laughs) Yes. You've been the Bonner who haven't been, Mm -hmm. right? Are we going this year? I want to go. Uriah invited me. You invited me. Let's go. Let me just get the ticket. Yeah. Uh, We can also get them like they have. Can you? Yeah. yeah, Oh, okay. I got you. I usually go down there. So you've been to Bonnaroo how many times now? Oh, gosh. Uh, Maybe like seven. I'd actually have to go back and do it. But it's like six, seven, somewhere in there. A lot. You and Aliki go a lot. Well, I'm curious, like, as as an artist as well, you kind of understand what it means to perform. I'm curious, like, what are... At Bonnaroo specifically, what are your top three live Bonnaroo performances from any artist? This one's going to be really hard because I, I'm going to have recency bias for sure, but I'm just going to put that in there as a caveat because there may have been other shows that I can't and recall. The, com- the comments will remind you real quick. Yeah, They'll yeah. Well, facts. But I mean, also, like, you know, I, I've seen a lot of performances from people that were really into a particular artist, but I didn't see anything that was. Okay. <laughs> anyway, what's up? What's well, on? all right. I, I'm going to, if I were to give a top three, I'm going to put my number three as Chance the Rapper. I think it was maybe, really? maybe 2016. He had a full band on stage with like, like he had a, um, like a horn section and everything. Yeah. And I just remember being like, wow, this is a really, really good show. Like the music was super full. It was a late night show as well. And I, I watched re- it from the back. You never told me about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. You know, I was like, this is, this is every, like, I couldn't have asked for any more. As far as, like, represent, representing Chance the Rapper's music, I feel mm-hmm. like his Bonnaroo performance was, like... It was there. Yeah, it was, I mean, the, the sound was so full. Uh, the energy was crazy. Um, so I just remember that one. Um, now, these, these two are recent, but these, these shows blew me away. My number two is probably Machine Gun Kelly. That was um, at Bonnaroo? At Bonnaroo. Damn yeah, it. Machine Gun Kelly was there l- last year. Um, and it just reminded, Machine Gun Kelly's performance reminded me, like, why people used to like rock bands in, like, the 80s. In what 80s. way, though? Describe that to me. Like, what it did he do He that had was- everything. I was watching a superstar in action, and the reason I say that is, is you're talking about wardrobe. He had wardrobe changes. Um, he changed clothes in that? 
Yeah, yeah, he had all these, di- like, it was just, like, different sections. It was, like, okay, okay, so if you're looking at everything, we start with fashion, right? Well, when his band members came out, each band member came out, and they looked like the main artist. Like, the drummer <laughs> they comes out, dripped out, dripped out looked, like, completely, they look so unique. You know, right, he had right. a, uh, he had a, uh, his guitar player, one of his guitar players was a woman. She came out, she had, like, all, like, this leather on and, and stuff mm-hmm. and crazy. Every single person that came out looked like the, the, the artist right. until Machine Gun Kelly came out. You're like, how is he going to top it? And then he comes out, and he's just like, he yeah, tops, total, it. tops it, right? There's all these different movements that are, that are planned in it, right? All these little choreographed moments. Um, he does stuff. He walked through the crowd. He got up on a platform and performed there. They had guitar solos. They had pyrotechnics. What about they like... They had is, stage design. Did he have like a... I know... I thought I seen a picture where he had like a shotgun as a mic one time. Yeah, yeah, did yeah. Did he do something like that on yep, that show? Yep, yep. His microphone stand. Like everything is remarkable. He's got a pink helicopter on stage. Uh, the, oh, I didn't know he had a pink helicopter. Yeah. Well, in his actual shows, he like has it he flies like he's on top of it as it goes over the crowd he couldn't do that at Bonnaroo because they have to have like fast changes and stuff but yeah it fl- it's actually flying like yeah like they rig it to where not flying oh, not the like, hell, but, but they have it crazy. on like cables um but not only that man like just the 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 transitions and the moments and like they do drum solos and they do guitar solos and they have like these like four or five minute outro pieces and then you know, somewhere in there, he started going back to his rap stuff and just did some of his rap records where he yeah. was like, don't forget. I got the, I got, I can I'm rap. Dead. Yeah, yeah. And he was doing like, I mean, just the full on performance. I was just watching it. And just from an artist's perspective, I was like, this dude is operating at the highest level of stage performance really? by every metric. MGK is a crazy case. Machine Gun Kelly's, I'm sorry, not Machine Gun Kelly. Michael Jackson is like that too. Like if you go back and watch Michael Jackson, you're getting the dancing, you're getting the vocals. You're, I mean, you know, you've seen that where he like, shoots out at the very beginning like he like gets shot I've into the, that he comes out from the bottom of the stage but it's not a slow rise they like shoots him up and there's sparks fly and he and like lands going, and, and then when he yeah and when he lands michael jackson he stands there for like two minutes while the like the literally two screaming. minutes yeah two entire minutes maybe more and he's just standing there not moving the crowd's just going crazy and then he starts singing and but but you know like michael michael jackson Imagine would incorporate like even like magic and stuff into his thing like you know the lean the famous lean that he does. Yeah, I forgot. You he, know those he did are stuff on stage. Yes. So the famous lean was he had shoes, custom shoes for this for this thing where he like slid his shoes at that moment into this thing on stage that locked him in, so his shoes were attached so that he could do this lean and just basically bring himself back up with his ankles. Bro, that's another level. But right, but I know he was. Doing nobody all that. knew I that, that it was locked. A video in. effect that he was doing at in the, one of the videos. Nope. I know he did it live. No, he did it live. He and, and but. Nobody know, knew about the, the... The practical effect. Yeah, the practical it. effect right. of it. So, right, so he just does this thing, and then he leans impossibly far. And then you're like... What the heck? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so, I mean, you can imagine watching that live and be like, I don't know what I, what I just saw. It's not like he announced a magic trick. Yeah, he, was, he, he, won, he unveiled the... Yeah, 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 he didn't unveil the trick. That's tight. I have one more. So my number one, and I'm putting this one number one, not because it was higher stage production value than Machine Gun Kelly or whatever, but it was because the budget scales are so different. I feel like for the same, like, like this one went crazy. So, Toby Nwigwe, right? My, my dad loves that guy. Right. Yeah. Okay, so you know he has the whole mint green thing. Obviously, the, the, um, the stage was mint green. I've been following him for, for quite some time, like, right. like pretty early. Uh, if you've seen his music videos, I, I expected the show to be the same, and it was, where he had his wife and, and 
backup singers and, and like dancers and stuff on stage, yeah. all dressed in mint green. But this is the key thing to me and why this performance to me blew me away. When, he's not, he wasn't that popular. He's still becoming more popular. But it was at the, I think it was at the this tent at Bonnaroo. The tent probably holds 1,800 people. There were only like 300 people at the show when he started. Like, just because people didn't know him. They weren't going there to, to see him because they just weren't aware. They were probably off doing some other, you know. Right, right. And uh, the first song he comes out to, there's no, it's, it's straight to Fi-Fi, which is like his biggest. Big song, right. Right, and it is so full. It is like hardcore. Like, it is I mean, a wall of sound. You're just like, oh, we are in it. Like, we're in it. Yeah. And, um. All I just remember is like throughout this, the course of this, you know, he had these three gospel singers that were phenomenal, uh, that they had different moments where they were singing certain stuff, or he had a part where he engaged with the crowd and just started uh, uh, having them try to do harmonies and things like that while he was making a song kind of on the spot. But the biggest moment, the big arc of this to me is that by the end of the show, Thousands of people were in and around the tent. He attracted people based off his performance. Not only, so not only did he attract them, he everybody's already standing, but he got the equivalent of like a five-minute-long standing ovation by the end of it, where he was really? just standing there and people were just go, like just cheering and screaming for five Imagine minutes. Imagine being Toby, bro, and like knowing that three hundred people are here, and then your your performance was so electric. The, the performance, people were like, oh, people are it, coming. That's over. exactly. It's not the. That's what was so impressive is because it wasn't that, you know, if an artist that you know performs and, you know, and you're hearing songs that you like and whatever, you're going to be a little more inclined to be like, this right. show is awesome. They he won over a bunch. Wow. Yeah, people were coming over because they were like, whatever is going on in this tent is special. And they watched it and they, and they were like, yeah, like, I don't, like, that blew me away. And to Standing blow people away without them not knowing the music is another level of stage performance. So for me... I have to put that up. Don't probably let that is my man number get a budget. One. Don't let that man get a Well, he already has. I mean, you've seen no, what he's, he's yeah, doing yeah. with a little bit more of a budget. Yeah. So, you know, he's going, he's going dumb, man. And, and he really, really respects the art. And I also love, you know, just uh, the kind of content that he brings. He brought his kids out on stage. He was holding his kids at the end, like in each arm, you know what I'm saying? His family's and like, with him, yeah. Families with him on stage performing. Like, I mean, it, it, was, it was just beautiful. And it was crazy to see him win over the entire crowd. So that was very long winded, but that's my. That's super that's dope. Three. Yeah, I, Toby's just unreal. I, you know, it's crazy. I haven't really listened to Toby that much. I've just seen a couple music videos. Mm-hmm. But it, oh, is he not at Bonnery this year? I don't think so. Dang, I mean, I don't think so. But top three, let's go. Yo. Also, I would like to plug my song "Action." We just dropped a music video for it. It's one of my favorite records that I've ever made. It's got four beat switch ups, a time signature change, a tempo change. I put Western whistles over an 808. It's crazy. There's vocal effects everywhere. Self-produced by your boy. What? One of my favorite records I've ever made. Uh, and so if you haven't checked it out, please go listen to that now. So Frank Ocean, uh, highly anticipated. And, but Frank Ocean is, is very, very inconsistent with, you know, I, he's, he has a habit of not showing up. He does the Kanye thing. Where Real he quick, just does Do you like Frank Ocean? I used to love Frank Ocean's music. I don't think I connected with it as deeply as like his super fans have. Right. There was a period in high school where like accurate into girl and like What about Blonde though? Like Yeah, no, I thought thought Blonde was really great. It's just it's a flavor thing for me. Mm-hmm. It's just not my flavor. I don't gravitate towards it as much. It's one of those where like I listen to it and I'm like, I really appreciate this and it was good for a listen, but it's not something I find myself going back to. I see, I see. Um but 
uh, Frank Ocean, you know, he obviously hasn't put music out in a long time. He he had he was supposed to be at the uh, Camp Flognaw, remember? And Tyler Creator, to to appease the, for him not showing up, had Drake come out. Remember, Drake got booed off a of stage from corny, the Frank Ocean bro. fans. Yes, yeah, so it's crazy. That's but crazy. Frank Ocean, his fans headlining him. Coachella, right? Comes in, and you know, apparently from what I was seeing online, his performance was extremely lackluster. They weren't, he didn't come out, he was very late to his stage performance, and he came out, and on some songs, I think he was lip syncing. Some songs, he was just like not doing a whole lot. Basically, a very underwhelming performance. And then the second day, apparently, he, you know, there was a statement put out that he had some kind of injury. He injured his ankle or something and wasn't going to be headlining the second day. And Mm. It got me thinking, like, here's my perspective. I make music, when, when I make music, it's a selfish process for me. And I'm not saying everybody has to have this. You can make music for other people, you can do whatever. I make stuff that I want to hear that doesn't exist. I'm like, I want to make the song that I think is the coolest that I would love to listen to. Yeah. And, or, or tell the stories that I want to tell or whatever. But when I'm on stage... That's no longer about me. That's where I get to be maximally selfless because these are people that paid to see me and the whole thing they want to do is have a good time seeing an artist that they like. So it has nothing to do with me. It's not about my glory of being on stage and all these people came to see me. It is about me doing a job and, and giving back to the fans that even allow me to have a music career in the first place. It's about saying they came here to have a good time and if I'm not on my P's and Q's and if I don't deliver the best performance that I possibly can that's a disservice to my fans you know what i'm saying this is a tangible way in which i can give back by just giving it my all on stage mm-hmm. and i've seen examples of artists in the past that uh for example rizza at at bonnaroo he played the super jam and he got so drunk that he was wandering around stage and just going yeah yeah over where his verse was supposed to be and he tried to walk off stage and they're like no you like you got to get back on stage like we have a whole the super bonnaroo super jam is like they get a bunch of artists from different genres, and they do like RZA. Really? Yeah, but it, it was it was bad. I was watching. I want it. my tickets back. Bro. I want my, I want a refund, right. bro. If and I'm then and then another another rapper, uh, Lil White, played a show at Tempt. Lil White has a, a a song that was popular called Oxycontin. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, he was drunk, and it, he got to a point where he was like flipping off his fans, and they were booing him. His own fans. He's got three hundred people, right? And I'm like, bro, the fact that you have gotten this intoxicated got on stage and now you you have created an environment where your fans are booing you you are lucky that you even have a music career still is how i feel about it you know what i'm saying and with frank ocean it doesn't matter i don't care how big you are that's just disrespectful i just find that just straight like the one of the most disrespectful, disrespectful things you can ungrateful. do ungrateful yeah and very ungrateful so uh, so bro like tell, look, we none of us know frank ocean Personally, but like here's yeah. how I think about it. I was I was reading some comments in the clips of him just like performing a whack performance, bro. Yeah, and I was like, yo, this is. All the comments are like, I can't. I bought tickets to see him because I heard he was headlining. Mm-hmm. Some of the comments are like, uh, I heard some t- comments saying like, I hope he's okay. I know he's going through some mental struggles. Mm-hmm. But bro, I don't really vibe with that that concept of like the artist is going through mental. Bro, I, like when I worked at, there's not a lot of artists that don't go through mental struggles. What, okay, and you can still come out and do a good performance. We don't get the, the president doesn't get that same. Yeah, the president has to be on a thousand percent all the time. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's a big, he's on a bigger level than Frank Ocean. But like, wait, the, wait, real quick to your point, he doesn't have to be on all the time. You're just playing Coachella. He's not even like the president. You don't have to, yeah, 
Are you? Hey, but show I'm saying, up for but one day, bro. I'm turning it. I'm saying like it's like in the, in the yeah exactly, but in like in the form of a job though. Like Aliki doesn't just just show up. She doesn't not show up to work like just because she's having a bad day. It's his yeah. job. Yeah, you just got. Yeah. You have to. You have to. And I don't. I don't. I don't mess with that. I think. And I'm be, I read this article because I heard Frank Ocean was working on the A24 film, mm-hmm. and he said in the article which, without the context of what's happening with, with Bonner or Co- Co- Coachella, right? What happened at Coachella, like. This may not have tied, but he said in the in the interview he said he was working on a twenty four film because music to him was always a form of like making money. It was always like he wanted to make money with it and then move on to other art. Mm-hmm. So it, to me, it's like you don't even care about. I think the, that's also really distasteful for him to say. Yeah, but, well, not, that was a quote just directly like, uh, from Frank Ocean in an article about him yeah. working on an a twenty four film. Yeah, that just proves to me that you don't care. Yeah, you wouldn't be working on an a twenty four film if it wasn't for. Music. I think that's just unhinged ego, man. That's the worst parts of Kanye. Like the best parts of Kanye is that when he when he delivers an album, it's it's selfishly made for him to create an art piece or whatever, and we get to enjoy it. But Kanye does a bunch of stuff. We were rolling loud, and Kanye basically popped up. You know, he had that beef with Kid Cudi, and you know, Kid Cudi got something thrown at him, hit in the head with a bottle on stage, and just left. Right. And I think he was supposed to perform. Kanye decided not to perform, so they replaced him with Kid Cudi. But then Kanye, during Kid Cudi's set, popped up at Lil Durk's set at Rolling Loud to pull people away from it. And it was, it was like so, to me, it's like everybody wanted to see Kanye West at Rolling Loud. People bought tickets again. People spent thousands of dollars. Your average person, you know what I'm saying? They yeah. spent, you know, to drive down there or fly down there for Rolling Loud. They spent a thousand bucks or whatever. about some beef, some petty beef between them. Right, like, but bro, we, I'm here. I spent money. I'm here to see Kanye right. West, and then and then how? First off, Kid Cudi's set was cut short because the, the the Kanye beef. Kanye's super fans were like trashing him, right? So then the kid, every we were like, oh well, we just don't get to watch Kid Cudi now. Yeah. Then we're all leaving because that was the like the last show. But then Kanye pops up at this other show, and I feel like it was just so disrespectful, bro. We were just like, this is just a a complete lack of care for your fans. And Kanye's at a scale where it doesn't matter who he pisses off or whatever. It's like, you're not not going to listen to some of the greatest records of the past decade. For sure. You know what I'm saying? Live. But still, that makes it even more so, t- to me, where you have a duty and responsibility to like, you know, what I mean? you know what I mean? I feel like a lot of artists, not all, but I think you're right. I, I think a lot of artists don't see that duty. They don't like, they, they got this convoluted idea that like, the fans are kind of like roaches or like, a flock of people just like like wanting to see them. In paparazzi, I get it; it's annoying, but it's like, yo, like, it's like at some point down the line you forget. It's sad because I don't think Kanye was always there. I don't think Frank Ocean was probably always there, but it's like, and Frank Ocean had people in his corner like Tyler, who was pissed that people blew yeah. Drake off the stage. Yeah, yeah, right. He was pissed. So obviously, his yeah. viewpoint on how performances work and how life's performances. In, like how it's integrated with the, the ecosystem of having people come to see you and why that matters to an artist's brand and career yep. and why it's so important for them to show up and show out. Mm-hmm. He understands that, and Frank Ocean was in his corner for so long, Tyler's corner. So where did he, that's what I'm saying, where did the line flip? I, for, I mean, for look, Ocean? people, I don't think there's a correlation between how much money you have and how good of a person you are. I think that you have poor people who are, like, vile people, and I think you have poor people who are, Amazing people. Extremely altruistic. Yeah. Amazing people. And I think you have the same thing when you have money. I think you have... I think, I think the more money you get, the bigger... Uh, the more money you get, the more 
you comes out. It's a, it's a it's reflection of your actual yeah. self. Hear that, yeah. and, and so, you know, I think if you have somebody who's an egomaniac that doesn't really care about people at the core, when you get the power, when you're that dude in the room, when you have the ability to do that, you just walk on people because you have power. You've given power to a person that, or, you know, power has been gained by a person that doesn't have all this internal stuff figured out. It actually went the opposite direction. What do you say to someone, how do you, what do you say to the people who were, who were good in their early days, who seemed like they had good intentions in their early days? Was that just a facade? Like, you don't think, now there's, there's something you said think, about people I, be, being changed by the I think you well. can, a hundred percent, you can be changed. I mean, you're in new rooms. You're in different cultures. You, um, you know, you develop different ways of going about things. There are some ways you have to adapt as you actually get bigger. There's an economy of scale. It's like, okay, I can't go to Walmart anymore. You know what I'm saying? Because Drake can't, Drake can't, Drake go, can't to go to Walmart. So, no. is it, so it's like it's also Drake. I don't think it's rude of Drake to not take a photo with a fan that asks him for a photo. You know what I'm saying? No. If because he gets all that. He you do, that you know, you do that, and then and now you have to take 150, 200 more photos. You're going to spend the next two hours there just doing this thing. Yeah. So I think some of that I don't, I don't read into that as being like there's. You have to give some grace for that side of things where you don't know what their life is actually like as far as having to deal with the pressures of fame and things like that. For sure. But there are ways to do it, and you see artists who do it, like where they you know, you, you get this power or whatever and you do things like, like, let me give you some examples of great people in the industry. We could talk about, on the comedy side, right? We could talk personally about Josh Wolf. Yes. So we know Josh Wolf is, is, makes a great uh, attempt at just giving back to people when it's All not even time. a thing where he gets a return on it. He just wants to connect people and whatever. But you can look at somebody like Kevin Hart. Like, look how much Kevin Hart has given back and put on comedians and how much he pours back in. He's the top of the top. You know what I'm saying? And, and he pours back into, you know, Tiffany Haddish and casts, you know, people that he wants to elevate and, and brings people on tour. It's like these people exist. These are people who know how hard it was to build a career out of something. And p- understand their position to change that. Understand their yeah. position to change it and want to reward people who are also working hard that, yeah. like, are good people. But then you have, the, you have the flip side. And, um, you know, I just don't think there's necessarily a correlation. Like, do you feel like there's a correlation with... with power and, and how, how altruistic you are as a person? No. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a reflection of, I think part, part of, like, there's so many factors that go into making a person who they are, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, and I think a big part of that is, I'll always say this, is that the people you have in your circle are going to reflect a lot of the choices that you make in the, in the personality mm-hmm. traits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm speaking from the perspective of someone, like, who has like say some me and you were just like theoretically famous and all powerful like we had a bunch of money or something yeah we have the theoretically people, the, yeah well nay I'm powerful but um, <laughs> but like think you're th- I'm thinking like yo like I know the people in my circle who are going to be like nah you're tripping bro like you need to quit yeah like why are you why are you trying to why are you talking about women that way why are you yeah why are you looking down on people that way. Why are you being dismissive? Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to call me out on it. We can't assume that everybody has the people in their corner. Yeah. You, if I was, if I just say it r- randomly, I just got like a, I don't know, I just started making music and became a huge artist. Mm-hmm. I would feel like you would be like, you know, I started acting like I was on a 
higher level than people. I start. I pulled a Frank Ocean. I did. I feel like you would be like, oh, for sure, bro. Like, what are you doing, dog? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. This is not where you came from. This is not who you are. And that having that constant voice in your head from other people around you mm-hmm. is what continues will keep keep you grounded. I actually, so I, I totally agree with you, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot to be said about your sphere of influence and things like that, but I also ultimately think it's on you because there's a lot of people that don't have yes men around them that just refuse to take any feedback, or you know what I'm saying? If I, if I, if I tell you something that you're out of pocket for doing this and you're just like, no, I'm not, like, I'll do whatever I want. How Who you, are you? How do you help someone like that, bro? They got to help themselves, bro. That's crazy because I, I agree with you. You're right. Yeah. Kanye... I love Kanye to death. I think his music is awesome. He's funny. He's entertaining. But that man, he's a hard person. I'm sure he's a hard person to chat with. Yeah, yeah. He's a hard person to give advice to. He's probably. I don't take advice for anyone less successful than me. Yeah. Who, yeah. who made that song? Was that Kanye? Oh, no. I don't know. Anyways, but yeah, you're right. What's the theoretically like amazing approach to how an artist views performing for a live audience? Is it just absolute servitude? Like, what is that's what I'm trying to say to the audience? Like, what is that? Because if, if an artist is, like, like okay, I'm an artist that performs, right? Mm-hmm. So you're saying if if I were to think about how to best reward my fans from a live performance, what things go into that? I'm asking is you a specific perspective, like, on would you have lip singing or not? Is that taking away from like, what's the best? What what makes the best performance in your in your opinion? Oh, the things that make the best performance, in my opinion. Um, is when you have, I think it's very multifaceted, and I think if you're speaking to every angle of it, it's just it just it like continues to layer on. So like the most, ba- I I think the floor is really really low for rappers, because a lot of rappers are just rapping over tracks where their vocals are under it, and they're it's just one person on stage with a microphone, and they're maybe not even saying all the lyrics, you know, and and the most they're doing is this, and I just think that's that's. There's nothing entertaining about that. Yeah. The only entertainment is the fact that people are getting to hear songs that they like from you. But I think that's whack. I don't think that makes you an entertainer. Um, I think when you start to incorporate... Like, think about what people like to be entertained by on stage. Outside of even music, right? Theatrics. You let, people go, go to theater yeah. shows, right? So they... Plays, narrative. Okay, Cool that you can incorporate narrative into your, your thing. Like uh, the Drake and Lil Wayne tour, Drake versus Lil Wayne, they had this entire thing where it was like, it was, it was Drake, oh, and I'm in the master of, like I got, I got the hip pop records, and then Drake would play a couple, and he goes, hold up, though, I got the hit records. And what happened, and then they're like, oh, no, but, but I'm definitely going to win because of the features, you know? Now my yeah. feature game's crazy. No, you, you don't know what you're talking about. They did you, that? You don't, right? That's cool. And they go back and forth. But then in the, in, in the middle, there's these like, animations where they are uh, it's like a story it's like an anime story that they watch on screen and then comes back to them but at the end it's like they combine forces they were like why are we doing this back and forth we should combine forces and then they do all their collaborative records at the end so there's a narrative right there's a whole like you're you're it's it's not just songs you're getting an arc so you can look at that people go to magic shows that's again the michael jackson thing practical you know what i'm saying you can look at pink Pink, you know, just just flying, across, you know what I'm saying? Wild flying across stage. Um, you could stunts. look at, stunts. <laughs> no, no, stunts. for real, stunts. I mean, you know, um, all the all those types of things. You 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 know, people go to fashion shows. People watch fashion shows. Okay, cool. Have a crazy wardrobe. Fits. People want to hear. I mean, musicality. People, you know what I'm saying? There are people who, uh, you know, I think if you add. 
like a new rendition or instrumentation. Bands. Like John Bellion's amazing at this, right? If you go to a John Bellion concert, you're not going to hear any of his songs done the way that they are on the album. The live experience is completely different. They're all the same songs, but they sound completely different. They're live versions of them. They don't even follow this, this like completely different. Yeah. Um, which is awesome because then you only get a one-on-one experience. You don't hear this, mm. and you know there, there's there's some trade-offs to that. But I think you know when you're looking at all the little things that go into making a great show, those are those are just some of them. The more you can add to that, the more moments you can put into it, the more remarkable things that you can pour into, the unexpected stuff, the sweeteners, you know, that's going to just continue to up it. And when you just layer those on and layer and everything about it is remarkable, and then they're hearing the songs that they love, that's how you really capture people. That's how you get that Toby Nwigwe effect or the Machine Gun Kelly effect. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like the, to give you a, uh, like an example for video, it's like, you know, if, you, if I were like, well, what makes a good movie? You would be like, well, you know. And then you would, you would have tons of things that you could reference. Of course, reference. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, even just big buckets, you could just say story. And there's, you, could, you could just talk all about story for the whole time. Then you can talk about the cinematography. Then you could talk about the acting. Then you could talk about all these right, different right, things. Right. So it's all of that. It's a different what, what really makes it amazing is when all those things come together. Um, but yeah, stop, stop performing over your songs with lyrics. I'll go to Spotify for that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm guilty I, of that I a couple that. times if I don't have a performance track, but other than that, you know, add something extra. I always try to add extra stuff to my, to my, to my sets. And I'm trying to bridge that gap. I don't have a, a huge budget for shows, but like I just bought a loop machine. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like let me figure out how to use this loop machine and produce things live and, and get back into my right, freestyling right. bag. And maybe I can make, that, that's, that's new. That's a one-of-one one experience is coming there and, and I make a song live on the spot that has never been heard before for these people. They can see my process. Maybe they can give me a topic. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they can be the gang vocals in it. So yeah. um, I remember what I was going to say, so, and I want to get your, your take on this. Um, as far as the ego and stuff, like artists, the people that are the most artistic tend to be people that, that do have a lot of internal struggles, right? Um, not always, but I think that a lot of times the most artistic people, you know, are are troubled by by certain things, and art is usually a release out of that. And so I do think that you might even have a higher concentration of people that end up going sour because because their art took off before they had a chance to dig into themselves and fix themselves. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So you might even have a higher concentration in art specifically of you know people. Um, being egotistical, you know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, because you could see that in every other area of the world as well. But, but also, oh, maybe it's just success. Maybe it's just success. Period. Because like the people that do become ultra successful had to have traits that, you know, what I'm saying. I wonder if Michelangelo was egotistical. <laughs> Think about it though. Like we don't know. Yeah, we don't yeah. Know. I, I don't wonder, know, man. I wonder, there's like a book about that man. I don't know. He might have been walking around talking about some like get off my face. Who knows who he really what he really was like. Uh, yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to oh. the Thickest Thieves podcast with Nate Rose, David, Elijah, Pearsall. We are we are uh, the thieves. We're thieves, right? We're thieves. thieves. I guess so. Like, yeah, we don't we'll steal out. stuff, but we you know we'll be out here. But though. we but we are thieves and bona fide. Check it out on YouTube. We're, they're watching this on YouTube, David. Probably. Well, they can listen to it on Spotify too. Okay, if you're listening <laughs> on Spotify, <laughs> watch Apple us. Music, yeah. Peace. <laughs> See y'all. What?
Yeah, baby, need top five when I'm done going mental. Yeah, I'm locked in, you can peep my condition, man, the lab all winner. All summer, yeah, I went dumb, now I'm about to go dumb and throw 